To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, we do ask that you would help us this morning as we let your word renew our minds and transform us. We ask that it would transform us today. God, please, please forgive us. Far too many times we come to your word and we just want a nugget of information rather than being changed. And yet your word, it is living, it is active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not just a, a manual book to get good information. This is a, a living and active book that transforms us. Transform us today. Amen. A few weeks ago, what we saw or what we looked at in particular was how God used Paul. And if you remember, Paul, he looked at himself as the least of all the saints. And, and we know this because he says elsewhere that he was the least of all because he was a persecutor of the church. And yet God came and he transformed Paul's life. And upon transforming Paul's life, Paul went from persecuting the church to actively seeking to advance the kingdom of God. And he did this by going from place to place, evangelizing and, and teaching the mystery of the kingdom of God. He, he uses the least. He uses the, the most unexpected people. And so we saw how God used Paul despite being the least. But this morning, what we're going to see today is, is a little bit of the, the why he used Paul. And it has little to do with Paul. Today we're seeing the why. And it has little to do with Paul. Not much of the why, in fact, has to do with Paul. The why that we're going to be looking at is so that God's wisdom is displayed. God's wisdom is displayed. How? by redeeming sinners and uniting them in one community. So this is, this is what we're looking at today in this passage, in these verses, is that God's wisdom is on display by redeeming sinners and then uniting them into one community. Which is, if you know the context of who Paul is writing to and the time that he's writing to them, you would understand and you would know uh, that there's not much unity outside of tribe, outside of people group. 
It's the Israelites over here, the Hellenists over here, the Greeks over here. It's a pretty divided culture. I think why this is relevant, why this passage is so helpful for us during the 21st century is because a lot of times we have become a little bit of tribalized. In fact, we've, we've made the church kind of about ourselves in some aspects. Uh, I remember one pastor um, in a book when he was talking about this, he, he talked about the, the modern church is, is, is a little bit like Starbucks where Christians come in and they say, I'd, I'd like a, a caramel latte with soy milk and an extra shot and please go ahead and make that grande, but I also want the temperature to just be just right. Kate understands what I'm saying. And when the order is messed up, it's complete blasphemy. Or it's a little bit like the Burger King church. Have it your way. And when it's not your way, then you move on. When I was in seminary, I remember reading um, for my evangelism class that I took how uh, statistically speaking, it's about every seven years and Christians look for a new church to go to. They go to the new, the bright, shiny thing because the, the preaching really hits home and the experience is great. But as soon as that starts to wane, the conversation becomes, well, my pastor just isn't filling me up anymore. It has become about self, our own needs, our own personal desires. The Starbucks church with the Burger King mantra. But if we're looking at the why today, and I'm going to be straightforward, the why is to display God's wisdom. We see how God displays his wisdom through the church, and that's first by redeeming sinners. God planned to redeem sinners. This is what Paul has been explaining for us. Up to this point, this is the constant message that Paul is deep diving into. The mystery. The mystery that had been hidden. The, the mystery that the Gentiles were once on the outs, but now they're on the inside. Look at the language, or, or just think about the language with me that Paul uses to explain how the Gentiles were on the outside. He calls them separated. He says, you were separated. You were on the outside. As if there was a, a great chasm the size of the Grand Canyon and you're looking across and you're seeing what's on the other side, but you are separated and there's no possible way to make your way over there. You're separated. You're, you're then alienated. You're on the outside. You're not a part of this. You are a foreigner. You are a stranger. You're like two ships passing in the night. You're like two people walking down the same road, one on one side, one on the other, and you don't know who you are or who the other is. 
This is a part of the mystery of the Gentiles now being included because this is what Paul goes on to say. Now, now we think about the language that Paul uses to explain how they were once outsiders, excluded from this promise. They were separated, alienated, strangers. But then he goes on to show them how through Christ and through their trust in Christ and through the the blood of Christ, they are now insiders. They're actually made one. The language Paul is using here is, is, like, is like being married to one another. The two become one. Where they were once separated, alienated, and strangers, look at how Paul now uses the imagery. You go from being separated to now citizens. You go from alienated to now part of the family. You go from strangers to now being bricks to be used to be built up into a dwelling place for God. If that's not an image, I don't know what is. Strangers to now intimately having the God of this universe dwell in you and being used to build up the church for God to dwell. In here. And so this is what Paul's been doing. Paul has been explaining the mystery because it was God's plan to redeem sinners. We so quickly forget that. We so quickly uh, just kind of gloss by and assume, of course, God redeems sinners. But we don't understand is that for God displaying his wisdom to this world is to redeem sinners, and that God planned to redeem sinners. And so what is the means? What is the means that God uses to redeem sinners? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not just talking about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I'm asking what must be done. Do people just magically poof, become Christians? Do they just wake up? I mean, the Holy Spirit could do that. But Paul tells us in Romans that faith comes by hearing. And this is why Paul was commissioned to go to the Gentiles to explain this mystery. God uses evangelism to display his wisdom. He uses his evangelism to display his wisdom by redeeming sinners. And this is Paul in verses 8 and 9. This is what Paul is talking about. How he went and he, he preached, or, or what we could put in here is he went and he evangelized. And what did he evangelize about? Our, our passage tells us he evangelized about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Or uh, God's rich grace in Christ. So as Paul is going to Ephesus, or as he's going to these different cities and different places, he's evangelizing and telling people about God's rich grace that he has towards mankind. Not just the Israelites, but to all the nations. And Paul then goes on to, to communicate, this, this was my job. My, my job was to bring to light the mystery that, been ha that had been hidden for ages. This was God's plan. 
God planning to display His wisdom planned to redeem sinners of all different types of backgrounds, ethnicities, social classes. And it wasn't a mistake. It's not like some people that suggest that say, well, there's this Old Testament uh, Jewish God and now there's the, the Judeo-Christian God. Two, two separate gods here. This wasn't a mistake because if you, if you look then further down at verses 11 and 12, you see that this was actually the eternal plan. This was according to the eternal purpose, what Paul says. This was an eternal purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see eternal there, I think, okay, this is from eons ago. Eternal. From before the beginning. From before the start. Eternal meaning before God said, let there be. This was the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ. That God would save and redeem sinners. He does this in Christ. He does this through Christ. This was the plan to display God's wisdom to the world. And so upon the the trust, upon our trust, upon our our faith, our recognition of our sin and our, our repentance and submitting ourselves to our King Jesus, I love what Paul then says here. I mean, it's incredible. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have access to God through Christ. Not only that, we've got bold confidence. Oh, guys, I was, I was at the Y a few weeks ago. And I sparked up a conversation with a guy there. It was Good Friday. I had to get a quick workout in before the Good Friday service. So that way I'd have the energy to do it. And as I was talking with him, I just asked him. I did the very, I, I, I broke one of the culturally um, unwritten rules, and that's I just asked him if he goes to church anywhere. Right? Culture tells us that you shouldn't ask that anymore. 50 years ago you could ask that, but now it's not culturally cool. I just asked him, where are you going for Good Friday? And so he told me that there's a local church in the area a Catholic church that he's been going to for 55 years and that he's going to be going there, not for Good Friday because it's not obligated, uh, but for Sunday he would be going there, 55 years. And I was talking to him a little bit more just about uh, uh, his understanding of the church and just asking a lot of questions. And, and as he was talking, he was telling me just how he, he knew that the good Lord was looking out for him because he had multiple times where he almost died. But he knew that God was looking out to him because he knew that 
Mary answered his prayers. And here's, <laughs> here's the most tragic thing. As the conversation is winding down and as he's getting ready to leave, he, just, he looks at me and he just says, I hope it was enough. I hope I've done enough. in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Through Christ, you can have confidence and assurance that you can boldly approach the throne room. Through Christ and His blood, His sacrifice, you can approach the Father and He will not turn you away. So if you're here this morning and you're just doubting or you're struggling with assurance, read this passage over and over. You can know for certain and have assurance of where you are going. It was God's plan to redeem sinners. He displays His wisdom to this world by redeeming sinners of all different kinds and places. And this was His eternal purpose. This is nothing more than Paul just doing a callback to what we've already read. In chapter 1, is this not what Paul has already told us? That this was the eternal purpose of God? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an eternal purposed plan. In he, for the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Paul is just doing a callback saying, this mystery, this mystery that I've been proclaiming to you is God's salvation plan for humanity. It's God's salvation plan for the nations. It's that the Father has adopted you before the foundation of the world. It's that Christ was sent to redeem you from your sins by His sacrifice. It's that when you profess faith in Christ, you are sealed by the Spirit. Paul's just trying to br bridge the gap for us. That we now have these spiritual blessings and this was God's eternal purpose. Now, unless you are, are Jewish here, we're the Gentiles that were excluded. That we were on the outside, and yet now Paul is saying, no, the mystery that was hidden for all ages was that you would receive God's spiritual blessings. This is exactly why Paul, at the end of explaining the spiritual blessings, follows it up with a prayer that they would know more and understand more of these spiritual blessings. Because our hearts being so quick 
and prone to forgetfulness. We need more of understanding of God's salvation plan, not less. Our affections need to be stirred more with the understanding of God's salvation plan, not less. And so this is why Paul, in chapter 1, he follows up with this prayer of wanting to understand more of God's eternal purpose. And so God planned to redeem sinners. He planned to display His wisdom by redeeming sinners. But then He also plans to display His wisdom by uniting them in one community. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You are united into one community. This is what he's already said in in chapter 2. Christ died to unite sinners, to make them one. Christ died to tear down the dividing wall of hostility. Why? Because he is our peace. Right before I went to college, let me illustrate it like this. Right before I went to college, I, I made a, a terrible mistake. Uh, I asked the basketball coach which dorm is the best dorm to be in, and he said, well, most of the athletes are in this dorm, and, and um, he didn't say it like this, but I'll just say it like this. Most of the nerds are in this dorm. And when I was to click on which dorm to be in, I completely forgot which dorm it was. And so I clicked on one. And out of God's kind providence, because he really knew what I was, I ended up in the nerd side. The the misfit side. And I say that so affectionately. Let me explain to you the people I lived with for that first year. There was me, the, the one who was going to be away all the time playing sports. There was uh, another one who was, uh, he was a hippie that loved to play worship music and loved theology. If there, there wasn't a time that I walked into the room where he wasn't playing his guitar and singing. It got a little frustrating at the beginning. I got over it. <laughs> and, and then, and I, I'm saying this, this is what he called himself, not me, him, okay? Uh, he called himself a, a redneck lumberjack from South Carolina. Athlete, musician, redneck lumberjack from South Carolina. He was just a, like so redneck uh, and lumberjacky that he worked on the maintenance and had to get up at 5 a.m. My first night there, um, he had this flip phone uh, that he used for his alarm, and his alarm was a chainsaw that he recorded before he left home. So I was woken up at 5 a.m. Uh, taking deep breaths because I was freaked out. And yet, 
there was so much peace and unity between the three of us. I mean, we bickered. We got underneath each other's skin, but there was peace and, and unity because Christ brought us peace. And although there was the athlete, the musician, and the redneck lumberjack, we went out of our way to try to support one another and show that love and brotherly affection towards one another. The dividing wall of hostility was gone, and so the three of us were able to love one another despite our differences. This is what God planned to do. He planned to unite sinners into one community, and he does this to display his wisdom. So, so what do we call this then? We, we simply call this the church. This is what this is called. When, when, when God redeems sinners, he unites them in one community, and we call this the church. In fact, this is what, this is what Paul called this, the, the church. So what is the church? Now this could take 10 different sermons to explain what the church is. But I'm going to use what Paul has said so far. What is the church? The church are those who are adopted. The adopted people of God. It's those who are redeemed and have trusted in Christ. It's those who have been sealed by the Spirit. It's those who are citizens of the kingdom. It's those who are family members of God. It's those who are being used to be God's dwelling place. Redeemed sinners make up the church. It's it's not a certain person. It's not just a, a particular type of impressive person that God says, Well, here is the best person to advance my kingdom. They're smart and they're they're witty and they're financially stable and so I'm going to use those type of people. It's not a certain type of people. If, If there is a certain type of people, it would be sinners. That would be the particular type of person that makes up the church. It's sinners that God has redeemed to display His wisdom. This is what God does. He he uses sinners to display His wisdom and He unites them to display His wisdom. This is what God does. He does it for His glory. He does it for His wisdom. Not for ours. The the church wasn't established and, and created so that man could display his impressiveness to just gain some type of following or to just come together as some type of social group that needs some type of stability. This wasn't why the the church was created. The, The church was created to display the wisdom of God. To display the wisdom of God to who? To display the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this might possibly mean two things. This might mean the, uh, the light and bright angels and the dark and dim angels. God's wisdom is displayed to them through the church. The local gathering of the church, the universal church. God's wisdom is displayed in that way. So what we're doing right now and why we are gathered isn't for ourselves. It's to display the glory and wisdom of God. 
The church isn't about you and I primarily. It's not even really about us at all. The church is about the glory of God. That's why when we come together, we put aside our differences and pursue what Scripture is calling us to. So if the church is about you, here's what I would ask you to do. Repent for making it about you. Because when we live contrary to this and we make church about ourselves, what we are displaying is that we are more wise than God. That is our heart posture. The next thing is to repent and believe in the real Jesus. Because you may have, under false pretense, believed in a type of Jesus that you created. Not the Jesus of the Bible that unites us and brings peace. So here quickly, as we conclude, what can we do then? Since God has already decided to display his wisdom to the rulers and authorities by redeeming sinners and by uniting them into one community we call the church, what can we then do in light of all of this? Three things. First, we evangelize. We evangelize to the lost. And I understand that for some of you, that is a weighty task. And yet, if it's not about us, but to display God's wisdom, then that needs to be the first thing in our mind. This is for God's glory, not ours. So if I'm rejected, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting God. And let me encourage you with this too. If God has chosen before the foundation of the world to adopt, then all we're simply called to do is go and evangelize. He will call people to himself. The pressure is off of you. You may blunder and stumble through your uh, gospel presentation. And God is way more powerful than our stumbling. If he's called them, he will bring them to himself. So here are just a few things. How, how do I evangelize? Here's, a, here's two easy ones that we should treat as open season. Monday morning. Monday morning, when you're at work, where you're talking to a family member, and you ask them, how was your weekend? And normally, if the person is self-aware, they will then ask you in return, how was your weekend? if there's time, of course. In response, I would like to just ask you, what is your response to that? Because here's a great way to take a step to evangelize. So, how was your weekend? This is what I did. I did this, 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 and I went to church. 
And then from there, you may even ask the question, you, you know, uh, my pastor was preaching this message. There's just something that was lingering and rattling around in my head. I, I don't know where you're at. I just would love your opinion. What do you think? You could even use that if, if in the morning, in your morning devotions. Hey, I've been reading this in the morning. I used to actually do this. I would go to a coffee shop and I would be working on the sermon and I would just ask the person, the closest person next to me, hey, I'm a pastor. I don't know if you're a believer or not. I just would love your opinion. I'm going to preach this message. What do you think of this? There it is. A conversation started. You could do it on Friday as well. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Well, on Sunday, I'll be going to church. Don't, don't buy into the unwritten rule that you can't ask people to church anymore. Right? We're in a very strange season of what evangelism looks like. And evangelism is no longer under the assumption that you just go up to somebody and they're going to say, oh, yeah, I know the gospel. We don't live in that culture anymore. We don't live in a culture that's dominated by Christians. If anything, we're living in more of a post-Christian time. Don't buy in to the idea that you can't evangelize or that you shouldn't because it's not culturally acceptable. Push back against that. This is exactly what Paul was doing. Two. Invite people to church. Invite people to church. When you evangelize, and Lord willing, they become believers, or even if they aren't believers, invite them to church because this gathering displays the wisdom of God as people from, I mean, I'm looking out and I see so many different people. The fact that we can gather is incredible. And we gather because of our common interests, our common belief that Jesus Christ is King. And so invite people to experience that. To experience God's wisdom so that way they can see it displayed. The third one. Live in unity. Church, we are called to live in unity. Paul says much about this in his letters. The call to live in unity. We are all sinners. We're going to rub people the wrong way. We are going to overstep boundaries at times. We are going to offend people and hurt people. That is where then we are called to be peacemakers. And peacemakers aren't ignoring when you've been sinned against. Peacemakers are either confronting sin or confessing sin. The other way to live in unity, invite somebody out for lunch that you have not gotten to know. Do it today. 
It's raining out. Well, I think, yeah. Invite somebody to lunch with you. Invite somebody over for dinner that you have not gotten together with. Get to know them. Ask them questions about their life. This is... I was going back and forth whether to use this as an illustration, but I'm going to because I want this. I, I'm, as a teacher, I'm, I'm called to, to rebuke at times. We had our soup, salad, bread, and fellowship a few months ago. And it broke my heart to see on one side it was the 50 plus group, on the other side it was the 35 and below group. That is not good, church. That is not good. We are called to live in unity. And that's not saying to be best friends with any, everyone, but that is a call for us to see each other as a family and to pursue one another, to confess sin or to confront sin. God's wisdom, it's God's wisdom, it's God's glory that's on display. Not ours. If anything, that's exactly what the evil one wants to do, is to tell us, no, 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 it's your wisdom. It's your glory that's on display. It's not, it's not ours, it's God's. God's wisdom is on display when sinners are redeemed and we live in unity. So we do these three things with the understanding that it's to display God's glory and God's wisdom. Let's pray. Father, would your name be glorified God, would your wisdom be displayed? God, we ask for your help. And we thank you for your word which leads us, which teaches us, which corrects us, which rebukes us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.